Great, well today we're back in the book of Philippians. I've had like a rest since the start of December. So go ahead please and turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Now I'm aware that for a number of you, you haven't been here before when we've been in the book of Philippians. And I'm aware for the rest of you, you've forgotten everything I said. And so I just want to bring everybody up to speed with where we're at in the book of Philippians. You see, to write off the bat, it's important to understand that as Paul pens this letter to us, he's in prison. He's literally in chains in Rome. Fifteen years prior to this moment, however, he was in Philippi. He was with these guys. In fact, actually, he was on mission and his plan was to go and strengthen and care for the churches that he had planted on his first missionary trip. And yet, as he was waiting in the port of Troas, um, he really felt the Lord lay on his heart through a dream of a man from Macedonia calling him to come over and help them, but God was calling him to go to Europe. So he ended up in Philippi, and as he arrived in Philippi and he began to preach the gospel, this local church was indeed born. Started with a lady called Lydia, a rich lady, who dealt with purple cloth and was a very wealthy lady. As Paul reached out to her, so many of her and her friends got saved. It was then this demon possessed slave girl who couldn't have been different from Lydia, and yet she also got saved. And then there was a jailer who also got saved, and this church was born. And this church quite clearly always had a special place in Paul's heart. And the way he talks about them in this letter, it's clear that he has great affection and love for this local church. What's also clear is that they have great affection and love for him. Because 15 years on from this church beginning, whilst Paul is in prison in Rome, this local church takes up an offering for him and they send one of their best, Epaphroditus, to make contact with Paul and seek to care for him and minister to him in all that he's going through in prison in Rome. And this letter then, that we have written down for us right here, is Paul's response to that visit. He's sitting in jail, and he's writing to them to thank thank them for all that they've done in sending Epaphroditus to them and for the gift. And because of what Epaphroditus has told them, that clearly there's some challenges in this local church that he planted. He's writing them to talk to them about all those things. As so he begins this whole letter with what is quite literally a, a pregnant prelude. He not only greets them, but he spends time talking to them about the three themes that he's going to talk to them about in the rest of the letter. And so the theme of slavery for Christ, the theme of sainthood, what it really is to be a part of Jesus Christ. And he talks to them about grace and peace, the very motive to which he writes to them about in the first place. He then tells them of his heart for them his love for them, his hopes for them as a local church, his prayers for them. And he reassures them that his imprisonment hasn't stopped the gospel going forward. In fact, it's serving to help the gospel go forward. And so there's many Christians in Rome that are strengthened in their faith and telling people about Jesus Christ all the more as they're strengthened in who they are. There's many in the Imperial Guard that have got saved. There's many in Caesar's house that have got saved. And in chapter 1, verse 27, through to chapter 2, verse 18, Paul then gives us one long, emotion-filled exhortation to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
He wants to help them see this is what you need to be about as a local church. Whatever you're doing, you need to be about living worthy of the gospel of Christ. And as part of that illustration, he tells them about what it is to really be saints, what it really is to be citizens of heaven. And as part of that, he shows them Christ. Those verses that Bianca read out this morning. Jesus Christ, who was equal with God, but didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but instead humbled himself, positioned himself as a servant to serve people. And then in chapter 2, verse 19, through to the end of the chapter, this is what he says. It's our text for this morning. Chapter 2, verse 19. And it is connected to what has gone on previously. We must read it that way. And this is what he says. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Lord, as we gather around your word, Lord, we're once again aware that there is not a line of this, not a word of this, not a phrase of this, which is outside of your breath. These are your inspired words and they're here then for a purpose. They're here to minister to our souls, to reveal Christ to us, to reveal to ourselves who we really are and what we need so that we may be all built up for every good work. So Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, would you bring these words alive in our hearts today? And would the gospel shine ever brighter? Amen. D.A. Carson, one of the best scholars that is still alive, in his book, Basics for Believers, which is actually a very small commentary on this book of Philippians, he tells us the following very unusual story. He says this, When I was an undergraduate at McGill University studying chemistry and mathematics, another Christian student and I began an evangelistic Bible study in my room in the men's dorm where we were living. We were both a little nervous and didn't want to be outnumbered, so we invited only three unbelievers, expecting that not more than one or maybe two would show up. It was rather distressing when all three put in an appearance. I'd never done anything like this before. Within a few weeks, 16 students squeezed into my little dorm room and still only two of us were believers. 
doubtless some Christian observers thought it was going exceedingly well. But as for me, I was exceedingly frightened. The Bible study engendered all kinds of private discussions and I soon discovered that I was way out of my depth. Mercifully, there was a chap on campus called Dave, a rather brusque graduate student who was known to be wonderfully effective in talking to students about his faith and about elementary biblical Christianity. I was not the only one who on occasion brought friends and contacts for a little chat with Dave. On this particular occasion I have in mind, I brought two undergraduates from the Bible study to Dave's room. He was pressed for time and, as usual, a bit abrupt, but he offered us coffee and he promptly turned to the first student. Why have you come to see me? he asked. The student replied along these lines. Well, you know, I've been going to this Bible study and I realise I should probably learn a bit more about Christianity. And I'd also like to learn something about Buddhism, Islam and other world religions. I'm sure I should broaden my perspective. And this period while I'm at university, while I'm a university student, seems like a good time to explore religion a little. If you can help me with some of it, I'd be very grateful. Dave stared at him for a few seconds and then said, I'm sorry, but I don't have time for you. My jaw just about dropped. This student thus addressed, thus addressed was equally nonplus and blurted out, I beg your pardon. Dave replied, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but I only have so much time. I'm a graduate student with a heavy program myself. If you have a dilettante's interest in Christianity, I'm sure there are people around who could spend a lot of time and energy showing you the ropes. I can introduce you to some of them and give you some books. And when you're really interested in Christ, come and see me again. But under the present circumstances, I just don't have time. He then turned to the second student. Why did you come? <laughs> can you imagine that moment? If you were the second student, you'd be like, I'm not saying nothing. I just came for it. I'm with him. After listening to the rebuff administered to the first student, the second student may have been understandably nervous, but gamely he ploughed on. I come from what you people would call a liberal home. We don't believe the way you do, but it's a good home, a happy home. My parents love their children, disciplined us, set a good example and encouraged us to be courteous, honourable and hard-working. And for the life of me, I can't see that you people who think of yourselves as Christians are any better. Part of a lot of abstract theology, what have you got that, that I haven't? This time, Mr. Carson writes, I held my breath to see what Dave would say. Once again, he stared at the student for a few seconds, and then he simply said, watch me. I suppose my mouth dropped again. The student whose name was Rick said something like, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Dave answered, watch me. Come and live with me for a month, if you like. Be my guest. Watch what I do when I get up, what I do when I'm on my own, how I work, how I use my time, how I talk with people, and what my values are. Come with me wherever I go. And at the end of the month, you tell me then if there's any difference. Watch me. At the time, I worried about the sheer arrogance that such an invitation seemed to capture. 
But at the same time, my mind recalled the words of the Apostle Paul, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Sober observation and reflection assure us that much Christian character is as much caught as it is taught. That is, it is picked up by constant association with mature Christians. And then Dr. Carson says this line. So the question is not whether we shall learn from others by conscious or unconscious mimicking, but what we shall learn and from whom we shall learn it. I know how right that is. The question is not whether we will learn from others, whether we consciously doing that or unconsciously doing that by spending time with them. But the question is what we shall learn and from whom we shall learn it. And it is that question that the Apostle Paul is answering for us right here in chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Quite literally, he's answering the question of whom should we follow? Which is the title of today's message. Whom should we follow? Who would it be wise for us as Christians to seek to learn from? Who would it be wise for us as Christians to seek to mimic, to seek to emulate, to seek to become like? Whom should we follow? And it is with that in mind then that Paul introduces us to two men worth watching. Two men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, that he wants to set up for the Philippian church as men worth watching, worth following, worth learning from, and worthy of emulation. See, I don't know about you, but when I've read those verses and began to consider what the heck is I'm going to say today, I was a little bit nervous about the proceedings because you think, I'm not quite sure what is going on here. I mean, at first glance, it seems to be no more than what, you know, a little bit of an interaction between Paul and the Philippian church in which Paul informs them about a a few travel plans for two guys. And you think, well, that's really great, isn't it? That's going to change everybody's life. I'll let them know and then we'll move on to chapter 3. You wonder what's going on here. And yet it's when you take a second look and you begin to study it in the context of chapter 2 and chapter 3, you realise Paul's doing something far greater here. In chapter 1, verse 27, he encourages us to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, having been saved by glorious grace, to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And as he then moves forward, he begins to show us Christ. He explains who Christ is and how great Christ really is. One who, he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Jesus Christ himself, who is at God's right hand, took the form of a servant. The one who made you and made the galaxy and made all things, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but came to earth and served And then he goes on in the verses that continue on to explain to us what that might look like for us. And what he does here then, skillfully and incredibly, is he puts before us two men to help us understand, maybe in more layman's terms, what this might look like for us. 
You see, we can look at Christ and we can be inspired, can't we? We can all live totally and utterly inspired. That's incredible. That's what Jesus was like. But here's what else I think we can often experience. We can experience inspiration and then we can experience overwhelmment. That's great. And I so want to be like Christ, but I suck. And if Jesus Christ is a gold medalist, I'm not even running around the track. You know, I've got one arm, one leg, I can barely walk. And Paul knows that. He knows that we'll be inspired as he shows us Christ. But he also knows we'll probably be overwhelmed. That we'll start to then think of those verses as in some ways a bit abstract, intangible, difficult to get our hands around. That we know we've got to be like Christ, but it's really hard to do that. And so very skillfully and carefully he sets before us two men who are just like us. Regular God. Flesh and blood. They're not the fourth person of the quadrinity or anything like that. They're just guys. Born in the same world that we're born in. They're going through the same challenges. They haven't got any part of the Godhead in them. And he sets apart these two men for us as living and compelling examples of what it looks like to follow through the exhortation that he's put in chapter 1 of living your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what skillful pastoring then this is, isn't it? I know you're going to be inspired looking at Christ. You're going to be overwhelmed. So I'm going to send two men just like you. So that you can emulate them and follow them and learn from them. And in doing so, you will become like Christ. Because that's what they're like. And this morning then, as we meet and greet Timothy and Epaphroditus, we meet two men that really are worth watching. Two men that are worth following. Two men that are worth emulating. They are living illustrations and enduring illustrations for us of what it looks like to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And these men then, not only inform, I think, compelling examples to the Philippian church, they are compelling and enduring examples to us as a local church today as well. To Sovereign Grace Church Sydney, these men are still compelling examples. So let's take a look at these two men. So what we're going to do this morning. Who are they? Well, number one then, Timothy. And Timothy, here's, here's how he excels. Timothy is a man who demonstrates and displays a sincere and compelling concern for the welfare of others. That's our Timothy. That's young Timothy, his son in the faith. He demonstrates and displays a sincere and compelling concern for the welfare of others. Look with me at verse 19. Through to verse 24. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Paul's commendation of Timothy is filled with the affection and appreciation that a father has towards a proud son. Young Timothy has been his trainee. He's a young man that he's poured his life into and trained up in the gospel. 
And so he has such commendation and appreciation and affection for him because he's a boy of proven worth. He's a young man that has revealed in his life what it is to display a compelling and sincere concern for the welfare of others. See, Timothy isn't just a new kid on the block. Timothy's been walking with Paul for years. Timothy was with Paul in Macedonia and Corinth and Ephesus. Timothy was there 15 years ago when this church in Philippi was birthed. Timothy was with Paul then. He was there when Lydia got saved. He was there when the demon-possessed slave girl got saved. He was there when the jailer got saved. He was one of the dudes singing when that happened. And so that's why, in verse 22, Paul himself says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. Because he's aware, you know him. You know what he's like. And so he commends them to him. And the accolade that hangs over this commendation is simply this. Verse 20, For I have no one like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's why Paul's sending him. Because I want to send you this guy because I have no one like him who displays and demonstrates a sincere and compelling concern for the welfare of others. And so I want to send him so that you may emulate him and learn from him and follow him. See, please don't misunderstand. It's not that there's no one else on the entire planet that Paul could send. If you read your Bibles, you're aware that Paul hangs around with many great guys at different times. And he's not going bad on them here. Okay, He's not slagging Luke off or aristocracy. He's not saying, you know what, yeah, they tried their best, but they're not as good as Timothy. But what he's saying is, listen, I'm in prison in Rome. And here's all the people I've got to choose from. He's already talked about them in chapter 1, verse 15. There are loads of dudes here that are preaching the gospel out of envy and rivalry. They're consumed with themselves. They're just thinking about themselves all the time. And so I'm going to send you, because I know you need him, I'm going to send you Timothy. Because I have no one like him. There's no one like him. And he's a man of proven worth. And he will have your welfare in his heart. And so having exhorted this local church in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, to do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And having talked to them about what that looked like for Christ, now say, I'm going to send you a man that is just like Christ in this. One of you. God just like you. His name is Timothy. You know him. And he is a man that demonstrates a sincere and compelling concern for the welfare of others. A man that you can follow, Philippi. A man you can learn from. A man that you can seek to emulate. What careful and wise pastoring this is, don't you think? I'm going to send you someone. See, C.J. Mahaney in something that I read this week says this. He says, Those we admire, we watch. And those we watch, we become influenced by. And those we become influenced by, 
we become light. Say that again, it's genius. Those we admire, we watch. And those we watch, we become influenced by. And those we become influenced by, we become light. It's so true. People that we admire, we, we watch them. And as we watch them, we get influenced by them. And as we get influenced by them, we cannot help it to some different degrees, we become light. It happens in our relational world, so in our friendships, we're like that. If you know this, different times, people pick up mannerisms off each other. They even pick up ways of saying it. Don't call it teaching anybody to do that, but you get influenced by the people you admire and watch. We also do it in a much wider world as well, don't we? In the media world. Those we watch incessantly on TV, in movies, in books, magazines. Those who we walk with in our lives on the internet. Those we watch, we get influenced by, and those we get influenced by, we become like. Proverbs 13.20 says it this way, because God knows it's true. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes like the wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. How true this is. Those we watch, we watch them because we admire them, but those we watch we get influenced by, and those we get influenced by, we become like. As we walk with people, whether they be wise people or fools, we cannot help ourselves, we will become like them. And so as a local church, my friends, I want to encourage you, it's so important then, that we be admiring and walking with people that have an uncanny resemblance to Timothy. Because we need that. Because by being with them and watching them, we will become like them. And the truth is they're not hard to spot. People like Timothy aren't hard to come across and they're not hard to spot. Because you see, people like Timothy are pursuers. And we all know it. They're people that are busy pursuing others because they want to change. They want to talk. And as they pursue you and chase you down, what you find is they're consistently asking you intentional questions. Not about themselves, but about you. How are you? How can I be praying for you? I remember you shared this with me last week. How are you going in this? They pursue you and they want to intentionally ask you questions because they care. They're really genuinely bothered about you. And what I've discovered in my life is people like Timothy are rarely offended. They're rarely offended because their lives aren't about them. Their lives are about you. See, we're usually offended when our lives revolve around us. You've offended me. But people like Timothy are rarely offended because their lives revolve around you. They want to help you. They want to care for you. They want to serve you. They want to bless you. And another thing I've noticed about these individuals that are like Timothy is they're very often happy people. They're joyful people. And they're joyful people not because somebody's saying it would be good for you to be joyful. They're joyful because the whole world revolves around you, caring for you and loving you. And there are so many opportunities to do that that they're always happy. Because they're aware of what a privilege it is to care for other people. What a privilege it is to reveal a compelling and sincere concern for the welfare of others through and in their lives. And here's the reality. This church, I believe, is littered with people who are just like that. 
modern day Timothy's. I mean, just this week I began to make a list. I got out the church list and I began to make my own list. The people I instantly thought of as like Timothy, that offer a concern, a compelling concern for others, for the welfare of others, for caring for others. And here's what I discovered. The list got far too long to talk about this morning. Because there are many people in this local church who are like this, who are like Timothy. And yet to give you a sampling of just a few, I thought of people like Simon and Michelle Wood and Coyote and Christina Williams. These dear saints who moved all the way from the United Kingdom to Australia not supported by sovereign grace to do that, but because they loved the Lord and they felt the Lord putting that on their heart so they sold everything they had, made a move, most of them owning homes as did we, selling up, nearly 40 years old, living in rented accommodation. And as these couples got off the plane, here's what I noticed them do. They started giving their lives away to care for other people. Not trying to be anybody. Trying to take a decision. Just want to love people. Just want to care. I have never asked them to do that. They've done that because they're like Timothy. They're consumed with a care for others and a concern for the welfare of others. I also thought of people like Angie Eastwood, who four and a half years ago, my wife had the privilege of leading to the Lord. And now you see her in the context of our life group. And you think, did you only get saved four and a half years? Because without doubt, Angie's like a Timothy. She spends her time thinking about us. You know, whenever my wife and I have got challenges of some description where we can't figure out what on earth are we going to do with this situation, it's usually Angie. They're just like, well, I'm coming over right now and I'll help you. But her life is consumed with care and concern for others, the welfare of other people. And then there's people like Yui and Ewan Chua, and Matt and Christine Taylor, and Andrew and Fee Ross. People who in some ways were probably less known to you. But here's my experience of being with all of those different couples. When you are cared for by them, it's as if you're the only person alive in that moment. When I was on holiday... And just in January, my foster son broke my nose. It's because he's small in age, but massive in body. And so I was pushing him down the line, and as I was just pushing him down, so I said, I'll push him. So I pushed him, and as I started to push him, he decided, if you want to get pushed, I wanted to jump in the air. So as I'm looking this way, he comes up, and poof, and I feel sick. I'm seeing, seeing budgies. And Matt was actually down at the time. He's like, oh, mate, that, that's, that's not good. You've broken your nose. But here, here's what happened. I got a text off Matt about every day for five days running. Still praying for you. How are you today? How's your holiday? That's a guy, like so many more of you, that is concerned with the welfare of others. And this church is littered with them. 2,000 years ago, in God's grace, Paul sent Timothy to this church of Philippi because he's aware that you're going to need to see people in your midst 
to follow and emulate and become like that really do offer a compelling understanding of what it is to concern themselves with others. Well, how kind, 2,000 years on, for God to send us so many Timothy, don't you think? So many people, and different names will come to your mind as I'm talking about it. And you think, they're not like Timothy, they're like Timothy. Well, be aware that, yes, they are like Timothy, and God, in his kindness, sent them to us. So that we can learn. So that we can learn how to become more like Christ, because that's what they're modeling. So that we can seek to emulate their example. And yet he not only sent them, Timothy. Paul sent them another young man, number two, by the name of Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus demonstrates and displays something also compelling and sincere. Epaphroditus demonstrates and displays a sincere and compelling sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Something else that he wants the church in Philippi to see and learn from and emulate and follow. This is what he says in verse 25. He says, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him on the Lord with all joy and honour such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to men. Paphroditus was sent to the Philippian church to bring a financial gift to Paul, to care for him, and to seek to care for all the other needs that he had, given the fact that he was in prison in Rome. And that's why Paul refers to him in verse 25 as your messenger and minister to my need. He's aware that you sent him and I appreciate that and I thank you for that. And yet that trip and that visit for Epaphroditus was really, really hard for him. He went willingly but it wasn't a straightforward trip for him because during his time with Paul he got seriously ill. According to verse 27a, he was indeed ill nearly to death. This guy is on death's door. And we realise then in verse 27b that the only reason why he survived is because God had mercy on him. God in his grace intervened. He healed him. He spared his life. He restored him back to good health. For the sake of the church and for the sake of Paul, God in his grace healed this man. And yet Paul wants them to know that now I'm going to send him back to you. This fellow worker, this fellow soldier, this man who dearly loves the Saviour, this man who is committed to seeing the Gospel go forward, who is committed to caring for Paul, even though doing those things nearly cost him his life, he was busy doing that because he loves the Lord and loves the Gospel and loves Paul and Paul's now sending him back to them. And as he does, he exhorts them, verse 29, as I send him back to you, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men because he nearly died for the work of Christ. 
risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus was being sent by Paul to this local church because he demonstrated and displayed a sincere and compelling sacrifice for the cause of Christ. So he's another man that we would do well to watch, isn't he? He's another man that we would do well to follow and seek to emulate and learn from. And the good news for us again this morning is this local church is again filled with modern day Epaphroditus. It's littered with them. They're everywhere. And even though we're a small church, we have over our fair share of men and women like this. And I began making a mental list. Having learned the error of my ways with Timothy, trying to make a proper list, I made a mental list on this one and realised, again, there's just, there's just too many people. So I thought of people like Jesse Finn. I mean, here's what happens with Jesse Finn. Jesse Finn leads worship once every two weeks. So do I. But that's my job. He's got a job. And so he gives himself to the Word. He gives himself to study. He prepares to leave. He and his wife and two small children get here at 8.30 every two weeks without complaint to serve up. Outside of that, he gives himself to thinking about new songs, training the band in new songs, making sure everybody's got what they need, seeking to care for the band, which is about 20 plus people. And he and Liz do that because they demonstrate what it is to sacrifice for Christ. That's profound, isn't it? How kind of the Lord to give us people like that to, to emulate and seek to follow and be influenced by and learn from. I just thought of Courtney Lick. Where is Courtney? There she is. You know, whenever I encounter Courtney, here's what happens. I mean, nearly, nearly every time, apart from like right now, she's sitting down, but nearly every time I encounter Courtney, she's served. She's doing something. Even at half-time, even in the break, I went over to the book and there she is standing there. I'm like, what are you doing? Serving. Oh, I might have guessed. Yeah, because she's so busy serving. So see they served on our PA team? See, anybody that serves on the PA team, you're, you're, just, you're just incredible. Because you're on the PA team, you're here at 8.15. And when we're over a nice time with tea and coffee, you'll notice the people on the stage pack away everything. That's still the PA team. That's the guys that arrive at 8.15. But see on that team. And what I noticed about CJ is she comes on the week when she's on, but she comes on the week when she's off. Because she just wants to help. And then when I encounter CJ on Friday, Friday night, I leave the office. And as I'm leaving the office, a group of people are coming into the office because they want to reach the next generation with the gospel. They want to win people for Jesus in the context of our youth. And so as I'm leaving, CJ's walking in. And she's going to be there for probably half nine, ten o'clock as she seeks to influence our young ladies with the gospel. And then she's on books. I mean, everyone encountered it. She seems to be doing something for people. And then I think about the teams that CJ served The PA team, as I said before. People like Andrew Lung and Matt Pettit and Matt Taylor. People that have been serving in it for some time. It's, it's a very difficult, heavily intensive task. And people do it complaintless. They just want to serve. They just want to help. Think about those that do youth. Riley and Maddie. And Ben and Matt Carrera. I can think of numerous things that I would like to be doing on Friday night 
numerous things that they are sacrificing, that they are not doing because they want to win the next generation of the gospel. You know what that is? That, that is a group of people and individuals who have a default setting in their lives to sacrifice. It's the way they go through life. They just want to sacrifice. And when you encounter people like that, you try and encourage them and they're not really aware of what they're doing. Because they have a default setting in their life towards sacrifice. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the church. Seeing the church and the gospel go forward. How kind of the Lord then to give us people like that, don't you think? 2,000 years ago, they had Epaphroditus. Well, we have now dozens of people who are like Epaphroditus. People to honour. As it says here in verse 29, anybody that may have been concerned, you know, I don't like the way he's honouring people. Well, here it says here, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men. I'm just doing as I'm told. We're called to honour people. When we're aware they're serving, we're called to honour them. And he gives us these people not only to honour, but to follow and to learn from, to seek to emulate. See, what we have here then in our lives and in this text is far more than just a travel itinerary for Timothy and Epaphroditus, isn't it? It's one of those passages that it's so easy to look over. I doubt that anyone amongst us has been memorising this passage and saying, my life has been so affected by these verses. But it's God breathed. It's breathed out by him. And all the time he's helping us answer the question, who should we follow? Who would we do well to be like? Who do we do well to seek to emulate, to seek to mimic in our lives for the glory of the Lord? That's what this is about. My friends, as we then encounter in our lives Timothys and Epaphrodites, both in the word, literally Timothy and Epaphroditus, and in the midst of Sovereign Grace Church, I want to encourage you, would we be quick to honour these people in accordance with verse 29, Would we be quick to give honour where honour is due? And would we be quick to follow them and learn from them and seek to emulate them? Because that is why God has given them to us. Just the same way that God was giving Timothy and Epaphroditus to this one. God's given us people to that. Seek people that we can spend time with and watch and be influenced by and can be conformed with this hope in mind that we would then in turn be like Christ. That we would be like the one who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. As we look and emulate and seek to follow people that are like Timothy and Epaphroditus, we'll become like Jesus. And that's what this is all about. Becoming more like him. And so would that be us? Let's pray. Lord, how kind you are in the way you work to send us people who are like Christ, whom which we can follow. Not so that we can worship them, not so we can praise them, but so that through them we can see Jesus. And Lord, we do want to be more like your Son. We do want to be more like Jesus. 
So Lord, thank you then for sending to us people like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Lord, would we be quick to honour them? Would we be quicker to follow them and emulate them and learn from them? Lord, I thank you for the men and women that are like this. And Lord, would we all become like this? Because that would mean for all of us we are like your son. So Lord, help us to do this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.